Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Heart of the Bookkeeper. You are joining me, Rob Marshall, today as I get the privilege of taking you on yet another amazing journey with yet another amazing person who is and who has shaped bookkeeping and impacted small business here in Australia. Debbie Roberts, the co-founder of the highly successful bookkeeping group, Pure Bookkeeping, is our guest today on Heart of the Bookkeeper. One of the most experienced bookkeepers in Australia right now, Debbie has co-authored the highly successful book, The E-Myth Bookkeeper. And it is in this episode that we're going to take the lid off this fabulous book and get an understanding of why Debbie landed at the need to share her stories through the book and how it is now impacting on countless numbers of bookkeepers right across Australia and beyond. Let's not linger any further. Let's hear the story of the wonderful Debbie Roberts. Privileged and humble is how I feel to have the chance to bring this episode, episode 27 of Heart of the Bookkeeper today. Our guest today is, in my mind, she's probably not going to run with it, but in my mind is a legend in our bookkeeping space here in Australia. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're always loath to say we've done it all, and I'm sure she'll be the first to say that she hasn't, but kind of I reckon she just about has done it all. Debbie Roberts, welcome to Heart of the Bookkeeper. Thank you so much, Rob, and thank you for the privilege of being invited. Thank you. Oh, I think the privilege is all ours, and uh, well, I am super excited. I tend to always say that about our guests, but today I do feel very humble because you uh, uh, you have an aura about you, Debbie, that uh, just uh, I love to see every time I have seen you. You just, you exude bookkeeping. One thing that I'm going to call out right from the start, and that is the fabulous book you have co-written called The E-Myth Bookkeeper, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Before we do, however, tell me, um, for our listeners, let's just unpack a little bit about Debbie Roberts, The Bookkeeper, and in particular, something that I read, because I've read a bit about uh, uh, your your background, but in particular through your book. You like the, the term, home is where the heart is. Tell us the origins of that and tell us a little bit about what is home for Debbie Roberts. Yes, well, I've only um, moved home three times in my life. I know some people that have moved dozens and dozens of times. I can't imagine what that would be like. <laughs> but I am I kind of settled fairly quickly into a new place. But I started, I had my parents' home, born and raised in my parents' home, left there when I was 21 to move with my husband, a new husband, into a, our new house in Essendon and stayed there for 38 years. Wow. So we, I tend, as I say, to settle and I feel that, yeah, when I do settle, that's where my heart is. Um, we moved again. We raised three children there um, and they went to the schools in the area and it was a fabulous place to raise children. And then five years ago, actually, We'd been holidaying down uh, the Ballerine Peninsula in Victoria for 20 years, just in a caravan, um, in a caravan park, and came across uh, a house that we would always thought that maybe we might retire to a beach location. Doesn't everyone dream about a sea change or something like definitely, that? Definitely, definitely. Uh, and we thought, oh, yeah, one day, wouldn't it be nice? And we, But we never, never thought it'd be. And this house... We literally, we parked the car where we would normally park, looked across the road and there was a for sale sign. And literally that weekend we bought it and a month later we sold our cherished home of 38 years. The family could not believe it <laughs> because I was so, my heart was so there. Yeah. But then we moved here and we've created a new home, the family come to visit. But there is... What, it is an hour and a half away from the family and that's been a little bit tricky over the past five years. We had COVID in the middle of that, well, which meant we were fine because we we're in regional Victoria, but my family was in Melbourne and it was very difficult to meet up and it, like with everyone, everyone's got a COVID story. But we 
then in that last five years, we've our children have now had five of our grandchildren, and wow. our, we're getting drawn back to Melbourne. And uh, so we decided we bought the uh, bit the bullet um, last year, only last year, and we bought a, a little villa in Williamstown, and and I just feel like that just feels like home. When I go there, yeah, right. it's just so comfortable and the family comes there. And I, we were only there last weekend for Father's Day. Yeah. And the family came and it was just, it's like this feels like home. It doesn't feel yeah. temporary or so I figure uh, since we moved here to Clifton Springs, I have grappled with the where do I, is this really the right place and I'm away from family and things like that. But now that we've got the place in Williamstown, and we can be, it's easier. It feels like home when we go there. We've got all our familiar belongings around us. We've got our family. It's all around family. It's yeah. that's, And that's where that rings, resonates with me. It, it is amazing. I mean, for me, um, I've asked this question of a lot of the guests on, on this particular podcast, but even beyond that, just out in the street, I'll quite often, if I meet up with somebody in a, in a community sense or whatever, I'll say, you know, where are you from? Now, not where do you live, where are you from? Yes. Because it is, yeah. it, I reckon there is something to say for, it doesn't matter where you live, you'll always say where you're from. And yes. and that is that whole, the home is where the heart is. I loved that as soon as I read that and uh, knew wow, that that was a, a saying that was true for you. It's so true well, for me. I haven't lived in my hometown of Harvey where I was born you know, for, um, well, the last time I was there was 21. So that I was 21. So yeah. that's a long time ago. But I'll always be from Harvey. It doesn't matter what um, happens. I'll always yes. be from Harvey, Western Australia. Um, it is where yes. my home is. And for you, you, you referenced your mum and dad. So the next, the next bit that I love about Debbie Roberts is that with all the influences, all the people that you've associated with, which we'll unpack probably throughout the course of this episode, and I'd encourage everybody to hang in because it's quite a, quite a story. Well, um, I got- when I asked you in the lead up to this to give me the most inspirational person that you've worked alongside or been involved with or had association with, your simple answer was mum, just simply yeah. mum. So you referenced your mum and dad. You didn't reference actually where that original home was. Where were you born? In Pasco Vale. So we only moved, you know, I've moved three times, but we moved, we were in Pasco Vale and we moved 10 minutes to Essendon uh, and then we moved an hour and a half. But I was uh, like, we toyed with the idea of let's move to Tasmania. We loved Tasmania. When we were first married, we used to go bushwalking. Oh, that was our, that was what we loved doing. And Tasmania was our second love. Uh, and we actually, Neil and I said there was a job opportunity for him in Tasmania. So we seriously thought about it, but I couldn't drag myself. I couldn't be away. I needed to be with family. It was always coming back to being away, being close to family. So yes, Pasco Vale was where I was born and raised and stayed there until I was 21. Why was mum so influential? And, and, and it came out of the back of some sadness and some tragedy, I'm guessing, with the with the early loss of your dad. Do you want to yes. you know, tell us a little bit about that and then why mum, you know, was so inspirational in your life? Yes. Yes, dad, dad got a heart disease and when he was in his mid-40s and died when he was 49. Um, I was at home. Uh, a few of my siblings were at home. He died with mum in bed. Um, and obviously that was a traumatic experience. I was 20 at the time, but I had two younger brothers as well. And mum was 45 when he died and she'd never, she'd never paid a bill. She never, she didn't do the grocery shopping. Um, for many years, she didn't drive a car. Dad always did that. He owned, he was self-employed, had a butcher shop. Right. Um, he would, uh, mum would write a list of the, the groceries that, uh, they needed for the week, he would go next door, they'd pack, this is the olden days, you know, when the, there was an actual grocer shop um, <laughs> and they would pack it in a box and bring it into dad and he would bring it home and mum would unpack it and all of that. Yeah, so mum was very much a homebody. I'm one of six children. Right. So she had a very full life and they both did. 
Um, but she was only 45. And now I think, I, I remember when I turned 45 and I was thinking, this is the age that mum was when dad died. And it's kind of, you. it was only really then that you, I properly got what she must have been going through at that time. So she had to drive. By that stage, she had her license. She had to learn everything that, that I have my whole life taken for granted, the, filling out forms and applying for, you know, bank something or others and all that sort of thing was completely foreign to her. And yeah. when I look back at her courage at that time to continue on, you know, not fall in a heap, like it was to be brave for her family. And she she did that in had that in spades, really. And but she's always been mum was always the sort of person right up until in the last few months before she died, we had to put her into a nursing home. She still had her wits about her, but her body was frail. Um and she was the life of the place. Everybody loved her. Yeah. She had such a caring and a genuine interest in everyone. Yeah. It didn't matter. I would speak to her every single day. Most of my siblings spoke to her most days of the week and she just wanted to find out about you. If if she was talking to you now, Rob, you wouldn't be interviewing her. She would be asking you your <laughs> whole life story. And she was such, so engaging and so generous. Every time, it didn't matter, at a funeral, the people were saying, you know, she always made you feel special, like you were the only yeah. person that mattered to her. And she did that with everyone, whether it was the cleaner that came into her house or a doctor or the chemist. It was, how's Beryl going, that chemist? Was, you know, everybody just loved her. And she was such an inspiration to me, such a kind heart and, and strong, though, uh, a great deal of courage. What an amazing life. And, and uh, the, the listeners don't have the privilege that I do to be able to see you as you explain that. And your, your face is lit up. Your hands are expressing love in the way that you're, you're talking about your mum. And I know she only passed away earlier this year from uh, my understanding. So it's still pretty raw. Um, very, I can, very, and I can yeah. see that emotion in your face right now. You know, it's it, it, it does my heart. Uh, I've, I've spoken at length at different times about the impact my mum had on my life and no, hands down, no issue, a bit, little bit different yeah. to you, but hands down, she's the reason I'm bookkeeping these days and have been. She was the one who taught me. My dad was the right. the well-known person, the, the the famous person in the in the local area, I guess, because of what he mm-hmm. did and, and inventions that he'd created and stuff like that. But mum, mum was the engine room. She was the one who sat with the ledger book and the green pen and the red pen and taught me, you know, as an eight-year-old, how to dr- rule up the ledger and how oh. to balance things off. And and so for me, I now look back and, and go, clearly she absolutely influenced what I've done for a very, very mm. long time now. Your mum in a different way, but yeah. dad with his butchering business, do, do, do you reflect back now and go, certainly that had an impact on the way you view things and look at things and and work with small business people, did that have an impact? Absolutely, 100%. At the time, I didn't think about it, but there was always, you know, why did I start my own bookkeeping business? I think there was um, that just there was this thing gnawing at me that maybe I can, maybe I can't. It's like the entrepreneurial spirit. And Dad definitely had that um, and was a very strong person and strong-minded. He loved having arguments, debates over a beer um, with his mates at the pub on a on a Saturday afternoon about the Labor Party or whoever it was. <laughs> um, and but yes, his entrepreneurial spirit, very very successful uh, business he had with his uh, business partner, and and you know he would have gone on for a long long time in that business had he not passed away tragically. Did butchering stay in the family? Did any of your siblings take on butchering or they as, did? As a matter yeah. of fact, my my younger brother, the one directly uh, closest to me, uh, dad got him into a butchering apprenticeship. Excellent. Uh, but Tim, unfortunately, he finished it, but he hated it. And <laughs> uh, he left then 
and has become a, a Micah paramedic, is an AMBO and um, been doing that for 40-something years now. So, um, yeah, he's in management in the ambulance field. So, uh, and he loves that. He's always loved that. So do you still appreciate a good, you know, off-cut or, a, you know, a nice oh, yes. uh, lamb chop cut, you know, yes. perfectly rather than, you know, how you might get them at the supermarket or whatever? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely, <laughs> yes. The funny thing was that I think our family used to get the off-cuts. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's where I was didn't going. Whatever didn't get sold in the week came home and uh, there was a lot of mouths to feed, but mum would make it into this amazing, you know, dish <laughs> all the time. Fantastic. I, I, I don't know. Some people don't get any joy out of it, but I love going to the markets and seeing a traditional butcher in action. Uh, there's an ad on our TV over here that I, that uh, shows a local butcher and he's so precisely cutting, oh, up, yes. cutting up some steaks. And I just yeah. I love that. That's That to me is proper butchering. Um, Absolutely, but, uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's move on to another B word though. Bookkeeping, um, obviously, um, you, you've, we've got so much to unpack, but it had to have a start somewhere. Um, yes, and it started a, a fair while ago for you, and, and I'll call it out. I did some math according to <laughs> a little bit of research. I know. I, I think I read somewhere where you just run with thirty plus years. I'll call yeah. it out. It, it, it's forty five years you've been in oh, bookkeeping. Goodness. Now, that's astounding given that you're only 52. So um, <laughs> to, to start out as a seven-year-old is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that is astounding, Debbie. But give us give us the story on where the bookkeeping journey started for you. Yes. Well, I think there must have been uh, – I am different to mum in the way that um, – she didn't like figures or, you know, forms and all of that. And obviously as a bookkeeper, that's just second nature. It's just something in there. But I think actually I might have got that gene from my auntie. Right. Mum's sister who was did the bookkeeping for their family business. So there's there's part of uh, I can see from my auntie that that I'm similar to. So I really started when I left school. I worked at the bank, at the Commonwealth Bank, not in the, not as a teller, but in their stationery department. And my first job was accounts payable clerk. So obviously, I had shown some aptitude for that sort of thing, and I was a quick learner and loved. I was like a sponge. Just tell me, tell me what I don't know, kind of thing. And. Um, and I was in that job for a number of oh, three, well, three or four years, and then I uh, got a job at a um, at a gold mining company, a, a private gold mining company. Don't think it's private anymore. And that was in the city, and that was again accounts payable clerk. But after a few years, uh, they, they there was a bookkeeper as well there, so accounts payable clerk, and the bookkeeper was kind of the boss of the accounts payable clerk, and then. They replaced the bookkeeper one time because she left, and I found myself teaching the. I was teaching the bookkeeper how to do the job, right. and the bosses in the offices were noticing this. And then this woman didn't work out, and they so they said, "Would you like the job?" So that was quite a. That was to get that recognition was quite a. I was very proud of that. And so I, I took over that job and it was very hype, like it was um, a short-term money market, investing over weekends yep. and, you know, yep. hundreds of thousands of dollars and all that sort of thing, quite a quite a big responsibility. Um, and I did that until uh, for another probably four or five years until I had uh, my first child who was James. Um, and then I took a couple of years off, but you know what? I was never going to be a full-time stay-at-home mum. Yep. Um, there was just a, this part of me, whether it's the entrepreneurial spirit or just that need for something else. Yep. Um, and so I found a day-a-week job doing bookkeeping for a cardiologist and I kept that job for about 18 years or something. Wow. Uh, a day a week. Like it was just this, it was so, e- it was easy for me and, I just got mum to babysit the kids and all of that. So just one day a week. And that, of course, a lot of things, other things happened along that path. I Something that we didn't talk about in the build-up was 
I did something really random and started a, a craft market in Mooney Ponds. All oh, right. In okay. the 80s. Yes. Um, I was still doing bookkeeping, but I, I don't know, I just had this other thing going on and decided I would run a craft market, which became one of the most successful craft markets in the northern suburbs of Melbourne for about eight years um, until I tired of that and then got back more into bookkeeping and and then the the bookkeeping really became more of a a, a full-time job once the kids went to um, secondary school. So perhaps that's the the you know the craft market thing is the entrepreneurial part in you that yeah. just keeps yearning and and yelling yes. out um, that that doesn't come naturally. I'm going to wind back in a moment to to a couple of things you said, but the the entrepreneurial thing, um, you know, we get listeners listening in who have different motivations for why they do what they do. But for some people, and I th- I know I'm one. Sometimes we just can't help ourselves, you know. We just go, yeah. we see something and we just have to do it, you know. Uh, I've, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times. Debbie, I um, I was having a haircut in a barber shop about seven years ago and I, I saw that it was for sale, so I bought it, you know. And oh. I don't know I don't know anything about hair other than I'd like to grow a bit if I could. But, yes. Uh, but it just, something yelled at me, buy this, buy this. You, you know, it, was, oh. it, it took me completely out of my comfort zone to do something I'd never done before. Right. So what what I want to ask you is, do you now recognise you were always geared to be a bookkeeper or did that evolve? Um, I think I always knew it, but the confidence evolved, um, especially the confidence to grow, my, to like to go out on my own and work for myself. That took... I'm going to say it was probably I was I was probably thinking about it for a couple of years. It was actually before GST came in. Yes. And I'd been working as an employee yep. and had a comfortable job and a few days a week and I still was able to uh, meet the kids after school, pick them up and do all of the after school things. So it was a very um, convenient job for me. And a friend of mine who's actually I mentioned in the book, Paul Kelly, um, he was my chiropractor at the time and every time I would go for an adjustment, he'd say, when are you starting your own bookkeeping business? And I'd go, nah. (laughs) (laughs) And and so every time he'd just be persistent. He would be persistent. And then uh, GST came in and I had still had this doctor's job on a Friday and the receptionist said, Deb, this GST thing, my husband who had his own business, can you help him? He just doesn't know what's going on and it's just he's tearing his hair. And I went, well, look, I, don't, I hadn't even used MYOB. MYOB was the first software, accounting software program I used. Yes. But I didn't, I had to teach myself how to use it. There wasn't an online program then. Mm. So I got the manual. Yeah. <laughs> I got the book. <laughs> and I put. I said, "All right, well, I'll, I'll help him out, but it's got to be at home, and it's got to be after hours. I've got to be able to do it in my own time, and I've got to learn a bunch of stuff." And she said, "Yes, that's fine. Just can you do that?" And so I then um, he was basically my first client, and I went back to Paul Kelly, and I said, "I've got my first client," and he said, "Great, here's your second one. I've just been waiting for you to start." <laughs> away you went, and the and rest away is we history. Went. Yeah probably didn't word even the question well, with the question I just posed to you, even though you answered it brilliantly. I, I guess where I'm going is right now there is there is a, a ripple. No, it's a bit more than a ripple. We're certainly, the ICB is, is, is on a, a process of, of talking to our members across Australia about the, the positioning of bookkeeping and bookkeepers for 2023 and beyond. It's been our, our topic for the year and we it's more than a topic. It's a really important thing that we're trying to unpack. Where is bookkeeping headed? And one of the things that comes up occasionally, I was at an event recently where I was sitting interviewing a bunch of, of um, bookkeepers or our members. Yeah, it comes up occasionally and that is, um, do we need to change the name? You know, bookkeeper. No. Does it need to be something else? Now, I don't want to sort of get into the debate of should it, shouldn't it, I, I definitely, I've made it very public, lean on the fact that I'm proud to be a bookkeeper and always will be. You know, for me, my journey started when I was eight years old with mum with the green pen and the 
the old big green ledgers. Um, when you reflect back, and I've tried to do this because you and I are, go back a ways, do you, do you recollect yourself positioning yourself in those early years in the bank and then when you moved on to the chiropractor as being the term bookkeeper? Or were you just somebody doing accounts? Was it the GST that drove you to suddenly feel that you were doing something really important and that you had a skill and a profession that was something to be proud of? What's your reflections mm. on that? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I definitely felt that it was the, the confidence thing at the start. Um, I definitely, it was to bookkeeping all the way. Yep. There was no question about that. And I was proud about the work that I was doing. Yep. My last role before I did start uh, in my own business was a bookkeeper um, for a not-for-profit. And I could see uh, I worked well with the accountant in that um, business and I, I knew that I was giving. I yes. knew that I was um, helping. I knew that I was helping. But I still didn't quite get – there was still a part of me that was thinking, well, all I'm doing is number crunching, you know, yeah. using yep. that one. Yeah. Um, it was actually only when I had started my own business, I still didn't really appreciate my value, so I was undercharging, which is very common when bookkeepers are starting out. Even now, still very common. Um, I was undercharging, but then I engaged Peter Cook as my business coach. Um, and it was when I – from almost the first day, but it was an evolving thing of him helping me appreciate that Yes, it's bookkeeping that we do, and it is bookkeeping. Yes. It's not data entry or analysis Good. or whatever it is. Yep. It is bookkeeping, and I'm proud to be a bookkeeper. But what it's the tool that I use. What I'm doing is empowering business owners around their finances, and this is the, t the tool I use for that is bookkeeping. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm going to capture that. I'm going to replay that to everybody I ever uh, run across because I think you've just nailed it. I mean, basically, we can wrap it up in as many different Christmas paper pieces that we want or yep. whatever we want a brown paper or whatever colour paper you want to use, but we do bookkeeping and, uh, you know, those have heard me speak on it. You know, I wind us back to 1492 and a guy called Luca P Pacioli, you know, who uh, I went and visited in Italy back in 2019 and had a chat to his well, to his statue, um, yeah. and I could just, I could feel even even in a statue, the passion for what he had about a profession, a no. profession called yes. bookkeeping that would last beyond the ages. And um, um. so I'm really pleased to hear you're on a, a similar journey to, to us, Deb, or with me, and that is, we can call it whatever we like, but at the end of the day, we do something. You, you could call a cricketer something else if you want to, but he plays cricket, you know. A, yeah, a book, exactly. A and, and I do remember um, Peter Cook saying once, because we, we uh, uh, did a lot of seminars around Australia and things like that. We've, we don't do them so much anymore. But um, he, then this conversation was coming up then. Should we call ourselves, you know, people were coming up with all these fancy names. And he made a comment that has always stayed with me that when you are marketing yourself, so from a practical point of view, when you are marketing yourself, people, when they are, they know they need a bookkeeper. That's in their minds, their perception, whatever Spot we on. want to, we think it needs a revamp, yep. which it doesn't, but that's what we think sometimes. But our clients and our prospects, no, they want. They need a bookkeeper. I've got to get this bass done. I've got to. I don't understand these reports. I, a bookkeeper can do that. They don't. If we call ourselves something different, and you market that and you advertise that, well, they might actually bypass you because they're not looking for whatever it is that you're doing. They're looking for a bookkeeper, even though what you're offering is bookkeeping. So I think, yeah, it can muddy the waters if we try to get too fancy about it. Spot on, absolutely, and I reckon Dad would resonate with that and say, "You can call a butcher whatever you want, but I'm still a butcher." So, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. and proud of it. So, yes, uh, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So, you've kind of beautifully segued to the next part of what I really want to unpack as we've gone round um, interviewing people on uh, Heart of the Bookkeeper. We've heard stories of those who've been sole traders, those who've been in partnerships, those that have worked with 
closely with accounting firms. We've talked about different models of bookkeeping and different approaches to bookkeeping. And as I've said before, we celebrate all of those. You know, it's where you land and you are comfortable with and you can work with and be successful in that, that we celebrate. Yes. You, you've, you've landed eventually, and, and I'm going to ask that you kind of give us a little bit of an understanding of how you arrived at where you landed, but you arrived at a, a different point to many in our industry and one that, um, you know, you've proudly um, been able to explain not only in the interviews you've done that I've heard you talk about, but also through your book and through different other mediums. So tell us about the origins of pure bookkeeping and maybe mm. wind back to a little bit about how it came about in the first place. Yes, that's a kind of a funny story, actually. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, as I mentioned before, Peter Cook, I engaged Peter Cook around about 2002 um, because I was on a hamster wheel. Um, I loved what I did, passionate about it, loved ha- helping small business. I had people come uh, to the, the prospect meeting, you know, the first meeting in tears because yeah. of this whole thing. And I thought, oh, I can help you. Yep. You know, let me just take care of you. Do, do, you go and do, make your things over there and leave this to me kind of thing. Loved all of that. Um, and so kept saying, yes, I couldn't turn anyone away. Yep, yep, okay, I'll do that. And I was on my own. Yep, 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 I'll do that. And I really got full up, overflowing, working nights and weekends. And um, and I and I was thinking, I think what I need is I need to put on a, another bookkeeper. But then I'd think, but hang on, I've just cleaned, I've spent the last 18 months cleaning up messes left behind by... <laughs> you know, not yes. so great bookkeeping. Yes. Um, and I didn't want to damage my reputation. So I'd get on this treadmill yep. um, of the hamster wheel. The, I'm, I'm too busy. I'll just work harder and faster and longer. So I got to a point I was going on and off. And in fact, my husband, Neil, um, he would call it bass on and bass off. So <laughs> when it was bass on, the, the family didn't see me and I had all these pre-prepared meals so he could just heat up and he was doing all the kids stuff <laughs> after school and all of that and then it was bass off so then mum was home cooking dinner and those sorts of things we we still actually refer to that we like in our community in pure bookkeeping we talk about bass on and bass off and they all know what that means um so in this journey I thought I think I need there's something I don't know is there's I don't know what I don't know, but there's something, there must be an answer to this. I have to find an answer. That was my driving thing because I didn't want to turn away people because I could have done that. Yep. I could have said, no, sorry, my books are, are full. Um, but I didn't because I didn't I didn't want to because of my passion for small business in Australia yep. uh, or in particular in my area. And so someone, oh, I think it was actually Paul Kelly suggested as part of my marketing, I need to go to a networking meeting. So I joined a networking meeting and who was there but Peter Cook. Right. Met him there at a networking meeting and it was really, that's kind of the, the back end of the story to the answer, that the, the question you've asked me. Um, I then worked with him for 10 years to help me grow my business because I found that I didn't know much about how to grow the business. I knew all about the bookkeeping, could do that in my sleep, but putting on staff and marketing and confidence and problem solving with how, you know, how to grow a business, all of that evolved over the 10 years. Anyway, so I created all the systems, put the staff on, had the marketing systems for getting clients HR systems for recruit. So I did all of those things in my business. Anyway, in 2009, Pete said to me when in one of our coaching sessions, he said, I think the systems that you've created, I think there would be a lot of bookkeepers who need this. And I kind of looked at him as if he <laughs> had two heads. <laughs> and I was going, what? Because I was, I was talking about a problem and we were whiteboarding it and what about this and all of that sort of thing? And and he had this light bulb moment. Yep. And I'm still on the whiteboard going, <laughs> hey, uh, what? 
and and he said, I think other bookkeepers could benefit from all these systems and all the everything that you've learned over the last ten years. And I went, no, 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 no. <laughs> anyway, back to my problem. Um, <laughs> and so I just brushed it aside. But he was once he got this light bulb, he was persistent about it. Anyway, I kind of reluctantly agreed. I didn't feel enthusiastic about it, but he he had always had the right, I don't know, the ideas and things like that. So I trusted him. I trusted yep, him a lot. Yep, yep, yep. So I thought, all right, I'm going to trust you with this, Pete. And so yeah. we started, that was kind of where we decided to start Pure Bookkeeping, which was in 2010. Before you go on any further, maybe just a little bit of clarity. So Peter Peter Cook was already established at that point as a business coach. Is a that, business is that coach, correct? Yes. yes. Okay. And you had invested your time into to spending some time with Peter. I guess the question I'm going to ask, because I'm sure some of the listeners are asking the same, well, why did you do that? Did you was it an acknowledgement at some point? Was there a light bulb moment? I think you might have mentioned that, that term where you went. I need somebody else because this is just not going to end well. You know, we that hamster wheel scenario you're on. Uh, yes. I think because, you know, in the journey, I think uh, I sometimes thought there was, as I can remember when I was in the thick of it thinking, is there something wrong with me? And I thought, <laughs> how can I can't figure this out yeah. myself or why do I keep making these mistakes? Um I think you that's know, resonating you, you, right now with some who uh, are listening, yes. <laughs> absolutely. And, Rob, uh, we were talking about, you know, six challenges and I said only six. Yeah, only six, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I threw Deb six challenges to give to me and she came back with only six. Only six. <laughs> um, I reckon I made every conceivable mistake yep. you could make growing a business. And even though Pete was a business coach, he'd never coached someone uh, who was running a bookkeeping business. And I think we're quite, it's quite a unique industry. I think um, bookkeepers generally have got special qualities as well. Uh, we've got special hang-ups too. And I am allowed to say that because I am a bookkeeper. Yeah. Um, and what I loved about the journey, even though with all the challenges, I, I probably would have given up had it not been for Pete's guidance along the way. So sometimes he'd just, I'd fall in a heap and he'd pick me up and dust me off and say, what happened? And let's work through that. Whereas when you ride in the weeds, in the thick of it, anyway, you've got to set aside the time. How am I going to think about this? When am I going to find the time to do? Whereas because I was paying him as a business coach, um, I would make the time. Yeah. Yep. To, yep. to follow what, I mean, even though he'd not um, coached a bookkeeper before he was a very successful business coach and there are principles around running a successful business that apply to all businesses as well. So there was a great deal of trust and respect, mutual trust and respect uh, between the two of us. So would you recommend to somebody listening in right now who's possibly on that same wheel, that hamster wheel or whatever, um, thing they are deal, trying to deal with at the moment, would you recommend considering a business coach if that was the case, you know, with the journey you've been on? I think at some point in everyone's bookkeeping, I'd say everyone, that most people would benefit from some kind of mentoring yeah. or coaching yep. Yep. Um, at some point in their business journey. It won't necessarily be, in fact, you know, because we have um, this conversation with licensees yep. um, and and other bookkeepers outside of pure bookkeeping as well. And the advice I normally give them is get up to your maximum. You know how to do bookkeeping. Get up to your maximum, like um, full-time, whatever that is for you, because not everyone can work full-time because they've got children or whatever. Whatever that maximum is for you, when you are ready to take your business to the next level, because there's a decision that is made at that point. Yep. Am I going to stay on my own? Am I happy here? And Rob, we spoke about that before yep. Yep. Uh, we were before online. We started. Yep. Um, and and I have a absolute respect for whatever choice people make for the business that suits them. Um, we are our mission at Pure Bookkeeping is to help great bookkeepers grow their businesses and. 
businesses that they love. Yeah. So yeah. it's not a Debbie Roberts business. It's not Rob's business either. It's just, we're not just entrepreneurs. We're not business owners. We're, we have families. Yeah. We have, yeah. you know, we're, it's very we're different. Not, yeah, it's yeah. very different. And my family's different to your family. My yeah. family needs are different to your family needs. Yep. But so what's important is that we grow a business that we love. And the advice I usually give is get to a point where you're at that tipping point where you go, am I or am I going to grow or am I going to stay? Do some soul searching around that. Maybe even interview a couple of mentors or coaches. See how the synergy, how you feel about it. Because I think what I have noticed over the years is that the burnout happens. So when people barrel along through, they get up to $100,000, they've got maybe, they get one or two staff, they go up to 200, 250, and that is the danger area yeah. between, well, between two and $300,000 turnover. Yes. If they've got two or three staff and not the right systems in place, that's where the burnout, that, that, that's what I've observed where the burnout happens. Now, you're getting into the territory, the great territory of what uh, you've got in your book, and we're going to talk about that now. Tell, tell us about the e-myth, the e-myth that I grew up with and definitely had an influence in my life. Tell me about, tell us about e-myth. Oh, that was, um, that was an amazing, I still kind of shake my head with amazement uh, about how this, all the serendipitous events came together. The very first meeting I had with Peter Cook, he gave me the E-Myth Revisited, the copy of the E-Myth Revisited, and he said, you need to read this book. Michael Gerber, yeah. And it was the, yes, sorry, Michael Gerber's original book. It was the first business book that I read and I just devoured it and yellow, you know, things over it, highlighters (laughs) and sticky notes and and pages bent down and all the things you're not supposed to do in books, but um, and that was what I did. And and it was funny. I could can remember thinking as he got looking around, going, "Is there a camera in my yeah. office? <laughs> is how did how does he know my life? How is, does he know who you are? <laughs> how does he know who I am? Anyway, that, and that was the beginning. I applied just about every principle that was in that book. Yeah. Um, and. And Pete and I, that we made that kind of the Bible and that was the focus and our decision points at different times. Are we doing this the way that's the way Michael Gerber says in there? And then in, oh, I would say it would have been about 2012, our business partner in North America, Michael Palmer, was at a, a big event and Michael Gerber was presenting and our Michael Palmer was helping the event, helping um, organise the event. So he was in the back area, the behind the scenes, and he happened to find himself walking towards Michael Gerber and like they were just going to be passing. And Michael Palmer got the courage to introduce himself to Michael Gerber and talk about me. He just, just uh, boots and all, he just wow. dived straight in, straight in <laughs> and talked about me and my story. And Michael Gerber was blown away. And we've actually got it on video. Um, Michael Palmer took a video of Michael Gerber saying, Debbie, you must co-author this vertical book with me. <laughs> it was like, wow. Um, wow. If it hadn't have been, it was just the yep. serendipitous events that you think there's always, there's something out there that <laughs> is greater than us. Just for those who are listening in now and possibly are... Maybe, you know, the underside of 35, they're probably going, what's his e-myth thing, you know? Uh, for those of us who are probably, let's say, the other side of 40, growing up in the 80s and 90s in particular, there was no bigger book in business, I, I reckon, than the e-myth. Um, everybody, oh, yeah. everybody talked about, you know, working on your business rather than in your business. Yeah. And, and that they were all things that came from this amazing book called The E-Myth. I read the original, then I read The Revisited. And I'd encourage anybody still to go and get that particular book because it's as relevant then as it is now. It unpacks the story of McDonald's and its success and a whole heap of other 
things that led to a complete change of thinking for so many of us as to how we approach business. Now, for many of us, unlike you, Debbie, we probably read the book and didn't really action it in the sense of bookkeeping. Um, and that's what you've done by the E-Myth um, Bookkeeper. You've, t- you've put it um, along with working alongside Michael Gerber and Peter, you've kind of taken the principles of the E-Myth and converted them into bookkeeping speak and yes. how they work. Do you want to just give us a, a little bit of a snippet of, of how that happened? You're absolutely right. Michael Gerber had uh, his chapters and then Pete and I were asked to provide the the specifics, how you take that principle and apply it to a bookkeeping business. And my contribution, Pete would look at it from a business coaching point of view, so there's some fabulous um, information in there of of how you grow a business from Pete's perspective as a business coach. Yep. And then I my contribution to it was my story, really, yeah. of, uh, of where I, this is how taking this principle, this is when I didn't do that, this is what happened, and then when I did do that, this is how it turned out. So it's it's really unpacking Michael Gerber's principles in a different way that makes it um, relevant uh, to bookkeepers. And that, and you know, I'm looking at the title of the book now, and I'd encourage anybody, everybody tuning in, go and get a copy of this, and we'll find out in a moment how perhaps um, people can do that if they're not quite sure. But the byline of the title page is the title of the book obviously is The E-Myth Bookkeeper, but the byline is why most bookkeeping practices don't work and what to do about it. So it addresses the elephant in the room that a lot of people in bookkeeping won't admit to, and that is things aren't working for them. They, You know, they're trying, they're on that treadmill, they're on that hamster wheel every single day, and they're possibly trying to convince themselves that it's working, but an honest assessment would show that it's not. Um, it's a journey I went on. Unlike you, I didn't uh, probably have the wisdom to go and seek a business coach. Instead, I had a heart attack, you know, and that's that That was the revelation moment for me that um, I was on a wheel that I couldn't get off. Yes. Um, and it nearly ended in the ultimate way, you know. It um, came as close as it gets and those who've heard my story know that and we're talking yes. to Debbie Roberts today, not Rob Marshall, but <laughs> there is different ways that will bring a revelation around why perhaps your bookkeeping business isn't going the way it should do. And I'd encourage you to have a read of the E-Myth Bookkeeper because it unpacks, it still celebrates the fact that you may want to remain a sole trader or in partnership with your sister or whatever it might be. I don't see any inclination in there that suggests you should change anything other than your approach to how you do your business. And it is. It's something we overlook regularly is that we work with businesses every day, butchers, tradies, you know, retail shops, manufacturing plants, and we quite often forget that we are a business too. We, you know, the bookkeeping practice that you have, the sole trade of the partnership, we're a business and we need to understand about our own business the sort of things that we quite often find ourselves preaching to other businesses about. And, uh, that's the beauty of the E-Myth Bookkeeper. That's what I've enjoyed about it. It's it's not biased. It's just simply fact. And, it, and it's, uh, it's revelation is what it is. Did you maybe, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but did you kind of almost feel intimidated to write a book alongside, you know, somebody oh. as legendary as <laughs> Michael Gerber? <laughs> I, I remember when um, Pete, the way Pete um, told me about it was we were, during one of the seminars, we were in a, another state, can't remember which one, and he said, he got his laptop opened, he didn't, all he said was, Deb, come and have a look at this. Michael, oh, we know, Michael Gerber. And and then he played the video and, and Michael Gerber is passionately saying, Debbie, Debbie, he's going like this. <laughs> You've got to write this book with me, you know. Oh, wow. And I talk about. Uh, Blown away. That you could, like he was my hero. Yeah, to actually be approached by someone of his calibre, uh, world-renowned, biggest-selling business book of all time, you know, all those sorts of things, and he's he's it's like what this yeah. is, you know, and so, but I and I and it was the first book that I had co-authored, 
so I took a lot of um, guidance from Pete um, as to the content and the story and how how it all fits in and things like that. But absolutely blown away by the honour and the privilege and 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 um, I'm humbled by the number of people who have actually bought the book and go to the trouble of saying, I've read your book. It was just awesome and, you know, and it really <laughs> helped me and you think, wow, yeah, that's, that's you know, impact. That that's, is cool. That, that is impact. Yeah. And, and, well, I'm going to say it. Congratulations. It's a ripping book and I've gained lots out of it and cycling back to what we said right at the start, just when you think you've probably done it all, you know, in my case, I've been around a long time. There's things in the book that I've I've re- reread recently because you gave me a very kindly gave me a signed copy of it. Uh, read it on the way home uh, from a, a, as I do on long plane flights back to Western yeah. Australia, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh, I wish I'd read this ten ten years ago." You know, I would have done things very differently in this respect or that respect. So, um, we 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 are going to start to wind this up soon. Sadly, yeah. I get sad every time I have to wind up a, a session with our guests on Heart of the Bookkeeper. But uh, before we do, Ed, first of all. You were very clear to me that you didn't want to use this opportunity on this podcast to just talk about um, the process of pure bookkeeping and 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 that sort of thing. People can come to you in a different forum and 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 understand that. And your website uh, is there for all to see. And uh, absolutely. But let's let's do the right thing by everybody listening in because they're all going, Rob, do it, do it, do it. H- how do they buy the book? How do they get a copy oh, of the yes. book? Um. I think go to our website. I should right. probably have the answer to this. <laughs> it's probably one of the questions that I didn't prepare for. Um, but go to purebookkeeping.com.au yep. and uh, there's a there's a button there that you'll be able to buy the book. And, um, and what I might do, Rob, is see if we can, uh, we'll make sure that we get a discount code for the ICB members. Brilliant, um, brilliant. And so when you publish... This, yep. yep. Um, I'll have all the details about the book with a with a discount code so for your we'll, members. We'll put that in the show notes. Is um, the term we use right. in podcasting land? As I uh, grow okay. my knowledge of podcasting over a few years of doing this, K for now, we'll put it put, yes. put those details in the show notes. So look for those sure. folks because you want to get a copy of this book. Just for the last few moments that we've got together, I just wanted to kind of also just reflect on the fact that. The last 12 months for you also has taken you on a different journey other than just bookkeeping with a with a health scare, with, with a scary moment around melanoma. Yes, yes. It was uh, actually around about, it's almost 12 months in the next week or so that I was diagnosed with a melanoma on my cheek. <clears throat> um, and the news, the way the doctor presented the news was, very scary. Um, It was uh, an an invasive melanoma and they couldn't tell what size it was and size matters with melanomas. It does. Um, And we're talking like millimetres. One millimetre is okay, is actually good. Four millimetres is very, very bad. So that's the, the size difference. And the way what was kind of terrifying for me at the time was you know, he said, I'm sorry to have to tell you this. And I went, what? Because yeah. I just had a biopsy done the week before. And he moved his patients so that I was the last one. My husband, Neil, was, we had just put my mum into a nursing home that day. Mm. We had Truth. come from the nursing home. It was yeah. extremely stressful and well, everything. I thought, just get, just get these results and get on my way. And he said, you better call your husband in. And I'm thinking, this is like, what's going on? And he said, it's an invasive melanoma. Uh, you'll need to get to the Alfred. I'll get you in as soon as possible. And it was six weeks agonising wait for the, it was four weeks or so for the uh, the thing to be removed. And I've got quite a large uh, graft on there, which is fine, you know, I can deal with that. Um, but it was two weeks after that before I got the results and thankfully it was only one millimetre. Right. Um, but it was really, for those six weeks, I had to, was fighting the thoughts of not seeing our grandies grow up and yeah. um, 
you yeah. know, it was just it was just a terrifying experience. Um, and and then in January, on the first of January, Mum passed away. Um, so it's it has been pretty hell raising. Um, but I feel like, and at the time, there is something. I did have speak to a counsellor in those six six weeks just to keep my head on straight. Yes. And I realised when I was talking to her, I I felt kind of sad because if it if it was a bad news story, I felt like I've got so much to give. Unfinished business. I've yeah. got unfinished business here. Yeah. Yep. 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 And and since then, then after recovering or or getting over, I guess uh, mum passing as well. So. I'm kind of I'm excited now. I feel yeah. like I've got a a new lease of life. I've got I'm, I'm waking up in the night with great ideas and <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I just love I love what I do and I love helping and giving um and especially with bookkeepers. I've got a heart for that because I'm a bookkeeper. Yes. And I know they they're on the same journey that I've been on and I love being a part of their journey. Well, I'm pretty certain that uh, your husband, Neil, and your three kids, James, Laura, and Daniel, are very, very happy that you're still on that journey as well. Uh, yes. we def- we, we're, we're privileged to have you be able to tell that story. And, and thank you for your vulnerability to explain how scary that was for you. And, and I think that call out about, you know, spending some time with a counsellor to unpack the fact that, no, I'm not going to let this thing, you know, take me because I've got unfinished business and yes. uh, a, a similar journey for me with the heart issues that oh. I went through. Um, I just knew that no, th- no, 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 this isn't no. my, this isn't the, my time. It's not oh. my time. I'm not, yes. no, I've got plenty still to give and yes. and that's what we would hope everybody would approach to life and that is the, that, that heart to want to give oh. uh, rather than take. So beautiful story, Deb. We're going to finish off with a little thing I call the subsidiary ledger, which is just a couple of short questions that I didn't pose to you in any shape okay. or form. So they're going to put me on the spot. Keep put you on the spot. Yeah, just short, sharp answers. Uh, we've been doing this with a lot of our guests. So we will call it out again. You're the co author of a book called The E Myth Bookkeeper. Putting aside the book, The E Myth, uh, there you go. Get, get it out right. E Myth. Do you have another book recommendation you could give to bookkeepers? That something you've read, something you know, mightn't even be anything to do with bookkeeping. You've got—I'm looking at you now. You've got a bookshelf behind you, so you can I have know. a quick glance if you want. But I, know. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. Okay. Atomic Habits. Yep. Right. Um, oh gosh, uh, James Clear. That is R- yes. right. Okay, I've written that down. Atomic Habits. Yeah. James that, Clear. That was a. That changed, that changed a lot of the, in my thinking, even in recent times. Um, that was, uh, yeah, would highly recommend that book. Okay, very good. Okay, I'm thinking an author giving a book recommendation is worth listening to. So, yes. Atomic Habits, yep, check it out, folks. Second question in our subsidiary ledger, so subsidiary ledgers sort of, you know, just tangent away from the norm, but they're still very important in bookkeeping, as I'm sure you recognise, you know, our accounts payable and our accounts receivable, we've got to get them to balance. So we're (laughs) we're looking for some balance here in your life. Um, What's one thing, I've, I've never asked this question, it's one that I've pondered a few times, what's one thing from your past that you almost grieve or are sad of that we no longer do? It might be something that we used to wear or perhaps something that we don't we used to eat that we no longer eat or a habit that people did. What comes to mind? You Anything? know, it, I'm gonna just say the first thing that like came in there yeah. is photos. Uh-huh. The, so many digital everything's digital. Yep. To actually print a photo now, I've got to go and get a um, you know thing done and go to the, the, the Kmart or wherever it is, Office Works or something like that, to get that. Um, yeah, to actually sit and flip through a photo album. And since Mum passed away, I've got her thousands of yeah. hard photos, you know, hard yep. copies of photos, and I'm sorting through them, and it's just lovely. Yeah, going through. And and looking at these photos and and just remembering, being able to turn them over and and look at that, just having something in your hands rather than 
flicking through on your phone yeah. or something like that. It's yep. just, and and I I feel sad in a way for like my grandchildren, for example, who won't ever have seen a a, <laughs> a natural book with photos in it, kind of thing, unless their parents print something. You've got to go to the extra trouble these days, and a lot of people don't do it. That's a little bit sad. Even just the smell of them. I used to love yes. the smell of freshly printed photos, you know, or the film yes. that went in the camera that we no longer put in. And, yes. you, know, you, you know, even the joy of taking, you know, 30 uh, photos and then taking it to the local chemist and having it developed. All only, of to, that. only to find out you'd put the, the film in the wrong way yeah. and that it didn't work. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, we're, yeah. we're talking a foreign language to anybody probably know, under, tw- under 20 right now. Um, Okay, two more quick ones. Favourite show to watch on TV? Do you watch TV? Or do you have a favourite yes. show? Yes. Um, the the a recent one I've watched is The Amazing Mrs. Maisel TV oh, series. Oh. Okay. Is that Funny. free to air? Free to Comedy. air TV or uh, Netflix? Or? No, I think it might be Netflix or right, okay. one of those other channels. I'll check it out. Um, what, what's it called uh, again? Like I went for a number of years. Yeah, um, it's a little bit. She's a little bit crass, um, right? So you know, if you if you don't like that, then if you, don't you do might crass, not like yeah, it. Yeah. But we're just Neil and I are just fracking up laughing. It's just <laughs> there's um, whole families and they're Jewish and just the interactions in the the Jewish families and and she's a comedian and I was just it's yeah okay. just really. It just made me feel good watching it. Just like, yeah, fun. So, what? Tell us again. What's it called? The Amazing Mrs. Maisel. And last one, last thing. What's one thing about Debbie Roberts that people might not know about? You know, might run with probably most people who know Rob Marshall know uh, my cricket, my love for cricket, but they might not have ever noticed that. I just I in a game of cricket when I'm playing I have to be the last one off the ground when the game's finished you know that some will be <laughs> pushing me forward to go off you know to honor something or whatever and I'm not no 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 you guys go first they'll think I'm very humble which I, I hope I am but I just yep. I I have to be the last one off the ground and I don't know why I got no idea mm-hmm. why but I just have to be the last one off the ground Well I can relate to that Yeah what what's one yeah. thing about Debbie Roberts Um I don't think I've mentioned it. Uh, I think we might have talked about it offline that I yes. ran a craft market. Yes, yes, you did mention that, and I was yeah. going to bring that up. So you've you've you you mentioned to me you dabbled with pastel drawings as pastel well. Pastel drawing, what, I did that. Yes. What, what is that? What's pastel drawings? I don't um, know that. Pastels are like cra- look. I mean, they're not crayons; they're pastels. So it's like chalk between uh-huh. chalk and. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's kind now of I chalky. Yes. Um, <laughs> and look, the the picture that I I did draw, I framed as so my first picture. So it was, and so it, you it, it, but it's actually quite good. But I haven't done one I'm since then. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think those those little hobbies. I love gardening. Yes. Um, and but that that's been a little bit neglected in the last <laughs> year, probably. Um, a lot going on, Deb. A lot going on, <laughs> yeah. but yes, there's there's the craft market. The, I'll tell you what, the craft market is the story behind that, just very, very quickly, yes. is the reason I started that was because I was making handmade cards as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I, would go, I couldn't get into uh, my own, I couldn't go, get into any other craft market around in my area. They were all full. There was a waiting list. So I thought I'll start my own, and I approached the Mooney Ponds, community centre um, just near where we lived and said, I've got this idea, I'm going to run a craft market, I've never done it before, don't know where to start, but I'm going to volunteer for that. And it ended up being one of the most successful craft markets in the northern hemisphere in the oh, 80s wow. and 90s. Wow, yeah, Not wow, the northern wow. hemisphere, the northern yeah. suburbs of Melbourne, I should say. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you, trans, you transformed it to the United to States. The, and yeah, the, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Great way to finish. You are bookkeeper through and through, but uh, like anybody, you have a life outside of that as well. Yeah. And uh, that, that is a, that's a wonderful story. And uh, 
Uh, Deb, I just want to thank you for joining us today on Heart of the Bookkeeper. Your story is is a fabulous story. And we've only, like you said to me prior to us going on air, we've only touched on a thimble full of, yeah. of, of Debbie Roberts. Yeah. You can get a bigger container full by going and uh, having a read of the E-Myth Bookkeeper, I reckon. Some wonderful insights into your story and your vulnerability in there is that on show for everybody to, to read. Um but we wish you well. We thank. We're very thankful you're 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 past the health journey you've been on in the last yes. twelve months. And Debbie Roberts, thank you for joining us today on Heart of the Bookkeeper. Thank you so much, Rob, for having me. Thank you for listening today. And if you have enjoyed today's episode and are continuing to enjoy Heart of the Bookkeeper, please give us a rating in the app that you are listening to us on today. This is very helpful to us to know how we are impacting with this little podcast. Thank you, Debbie, and may well you continue to enjoy your many years ahead giving back to bookkeeping here in Australia and beyond, and we rejoice in the recovery from your recent health scare. Check out the show notes for this episode for the very special offer that Debbie has made to access her book. You don't want to miss this. We look forward to you joining us again soon on our next journey into the heart of the bookkeeper. And as always, we love your heart.